You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 225. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey son, hey son! How are you? Good! Good to see you, Jelena. <laughs> We missed you last week. Good to see you guys too. Uh, yeah, all, all is good. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, all is not good. If anybody was following American news, um, oh. there's a civil unrest across the country, including Seattle. Yeah. Including Seattle? Yeah, wow. so we had uh, riots yesterday and the day before that turned violent. The National Guard was called in. I don't know what um, today's situation was like. I didn't actually look, watch the news. Mm. But um, the curfew was established at five o'clock in the evening to five in the morning. So on top of the usual lockdown. Ah, uh, so that was specifically because of the riots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, people could go for like shopping and stuff. But whereas now you can't after five o'clock, you can't go anywhere. Mm. So this year it keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Pretty. Yeah, that's wow. pretty serious. Um, I think it was like uh, the straw that broke camel's back. The Mm-hmm. latest killing so not much fun what about you guys well i have been busy pretty hectic last week uh we had the annual meeting for the swedish skeptics and it was online and it it required quite a lot of preparations and stuff and then the whole day saturday we had online things with first the actual meeting and then with some presentations and stuff with people from across the country so it was uh, i think we pulled it off only a few technical hiccups not too bad so it was fun but it was uh, quite uh, an effort mm-hmm. how about you Anders? well i've been busy too mm-hmm. to some extent uh we're, we're in the same boots uh here mm-hmm. because we we're not working at the moment actually we're working a lot but we don't get paid <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right you keep busy huh uh yeah the speed at which the days pass on it's 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 yeah. unbelievable yeah i can't believe it's june already yeah and uh, i've been i've been busy trying to organize a couple of mini projects within the hungarian skeptic society we're running a couple of mini projects in on a european level as well but all has to do with skepticism and the skeptical activism yeah, 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 yeah. so <laughs> I still don't know what I'm going to do when I have to go back to work, which uh, <laughs> might happen sometime in July. You think? Yeah. The company that I work for has never organized trips in Hungary. It was all outbound travel only. Mm. And uh, now they're moving into that direction. that they that They're going to organize tours in Hungary. So... I might end up not traveling that much, uh, even while working. So hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but it's all exciting in a way. Well, so there was some good news around Latvia's ecological situation because of COVID. Uh, so a bunch of European beaches that were used to be used by tourists, like in Spain and Italy, etc., blah, blah, blah. They've been closed because the obviously the cases were high and the countries were locked down whereas latvia on the other hand didn't wasn't hit as badly and so now the Jurmala beach which is main beach in latvia was announced one of the cleanest and best beaches in in europe to be at and more safe okay. beach so that's wow. something i guess I don't know if it's going to attract any tourists but um it certainly <laughs> made its way into the euro news there we go 
Is it right at the estuary of the river? Uh, yeah, it's kind of 20 minutes from Riga. Uh, Jurmala is like a, another city yeah, yeah. on the sea. And the main river, Daugava, falls into the... Yeah, it's a Baltic Sea. But um, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, actually, our, our beaches were, were always quite nice and it had like a really thin sand, you know, beautiful white sand. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite... So maybe that will be a positive that comes out of it, but... Yeah. You know. and, and one thing that I really like about the Baltic Sea is that it's not very salty. But it doesn't. it's not pretty. It's like brown. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and cold. It has, it has to do with a lot of sand yeah. in the water all the time. But, you know, actually, the other day, weirdly, it was the Baltic states that came to mind first ah. about where I would like to go. There you go. I just love that area. Well, so between three states, I've, I've said that probably before, I prefer Estonia because it's just a much better organized place, a country. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Although they did have more cases. Yeah, I know. Or, well, actually, I say that, and now I'm thinking they had more cases reported. Testing in Latvia is appalling. Mm. Oh. But as far as I know, all the Baltic states are doing quite well at the moment compared to... Yeah, to be fair, Latvia is so scarcely populated now. Yeah. A, a bunch of people left, like me, you know, the young people left. So there's a lot of older generation, but they spread out. Mm-hmm. There are some concentrated areas of, of the sort of old people's homes, but we don't have many of them. So Yeah, but then... We just have to move a little bit further to the east from there, and the situation is terrible. What's going on in Russia is... Yeah. I'm assuming it's coming up in your update? (laughs) Yeah, I think it it will come up, because we have to talk about uh, things happening around there as well. But, now that we mentioned in Russia, one of the greatest achievements of the last week, since we had uh, our last recording is that uh, the era of commercial spaceflight is here. Mm. And yes. I am so excited about that. Yeah, have you got your ticket yet? Well, <laughs> since I don't earn too much money at the moment, I decided to postpone that ticket purchase. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have to wait a little bit before can, I can Can you I can imagine buy. how much? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would have to work uh, a couple hundred years. <laughs> yeah, and more. To be able to afford it. But uh, I would gladly do that. <laughs> well, anyway, but it, it was a great achievement. And uh, now the United States is capable of traveling to the International Space Station without the help of the Russians. Usually they launched uh, the Russian Soyuz uh, spacecraft uh, from Baikonur, which is in Kazakhstan. Now it happened from Florida. And uh, on the last episode, we mentioned that by the time it goes out, it might already have happened. And uh, it wasn't the case because uh, they had to postpone the the launch. So it, uh, after all, it happened on Saturday, a couple of days after the release of the episode. Anyway, congratulations to SpaceX. Anyhow, we've got a show to run, so uh, it's time for us to move on to our first segment, which is with Yelena back this week in Skepticism. Today I want to quickly uh, mention uh, Gerard uh, Marie de Sed, Baron de Lou. Wow, bon. I think people just call him Gerard de Sed. Mm-hmm. Is he French? Uh, he was French, yes. yeah. Uh, he was a French author. He was. And a member of various surrealist organizations. All right. So 
it'll become apparent why I'm mentioning him in a second. He's written quite a few books, uh, more than 20 books and various articles, etc. I want to try to pronounce one of his best known books that he's written in 1967. Here we go. Lord de Rene vie insolite de Berenge Sonnier Cure de Rene le Chateau. And it's translated. Was this some kind of an African language that he wrote it in? It certainly sounded like that. Oh, shut up. It translates as The Gold of René or The Strange Life of Berenger Sanier, Priest of René Le Chateau. Oh, yeah. You basically repeated the same thing. <laughs> 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 oh, there is no way I can speak any French whatsoever. In any case, he's written few books with very, very long names like that. <laughs> and then, then they were revised and the names were shortened, which kind of made me laugh. So his writing talent was co-opted by the guy called Pierre Plantard to write a book or mention something that we all kind of heard about called Priory of Sion oh, yeah. back back in 1960s. So Priory of Sion was started in France in 1956 by this guy, Pierre Plantard, and he wanted to create a fake mystery and history around the Priory of Sion. And so he co-opted um, Gerard to write a book and pretend like it was a legit thing. And then... He's also planted some documents in a library, in a French national library, about the Priory of Sion, so that, you know, if anybody was to research it, they'll come across those documents. It's like what we do with Wikipedia articles, yeah. that we write them up yeah. in case someone is looking for stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, so it's it's guerrilla anti-skepticism <laughs> that he did. It, so at, at the beginning, this this group was uh, fought for housing rights for local people and um, for a variety of social causes, and it promised to benefit weak and oppressed. However, Planted had a big head, and he. Um, hoped to use Priory of Sion to claim to be descendant of French French kings. And I, I'm guessing to rule France? Huh. I, I don't know where he was going with that. They haven't had kings in France for a while. I, I think it yeah. went out of fashion a few hundred years ago. Yeah. But in any yeah. case, so the, the enigma, enigma was created and um, after Gerard has written the book, somebody else read his book, got inspired, wrote another book about this prior. So it's like a snow globe type of thing effect. And um, people believed in it. I, I'm sure people still kind of think that that's the thing, right? And of course, the popular the Da Vinci Code uh, made it even more known, well known in a, in a pop culture. But you know, there was a research into the whole thing, and actually, it was discovered that that the whole thing was a hoax. And over hundred letters between Plantard, Gerard de Sade, and the other person called De Cherisy were, were discovered, where they communicated with each other around how to set this hoax up and uh, the way to make it sound plausible. So we know for 100% that, that the priority on is a hoax. So but basically, the, the, that's the, the only reason why I wanted to mention today this French author. And don't lie about things. It takes a very, very long time. Although it's not a very good tale, right? If you lie about things, it takes a very long t long time to debunk, like literally decades. Mm. So people will go, maybe I should lie about things. 
Yeah, but it depends on the actual lie. Well. You might get caught right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never know. No, but you have a point, Jelena. Some things you can never get people to understand it. It was a lie or a hoax. It will live forever. And yeah. and when you show them that it was a lie, well, that's just what they want you to think. Oh, um, so it's in- interesting that you uh, mentioned that because, uh, you know, what comes to mind now that I live in America, I keep hearing all these conspiracies about things that were established long time ago, especially about the president's assassi- assassinations. They're obsessed that there's like huge organizations behind it and even with this Oswald guy which was very very clear one man job people just don't believe it they still hang on to some things yeah and I think if these conspiracies were real to assassinate presidents the current president would not be sitting any any longer anymore it would have happened by now Hmm. yeah (laughs) I yes yeah so I think it's a good example of why there is no international collaboration of any kind to remove uh, there might be a collaboration going on but uh, we don't know about it but uh it's it's not very successful if there is a conspiracy in the background yeah all right thank you very much Ilan. yes oh that means that we are moving on to those moments when pontus pokes the pope Yes, Francis has been very busy lately and still there's not too much to tell, I should say. (laughs) He spent the whole last week contacting his flock, quote-unquote, sending emails and having phone calls. And he has appeared online on several occasions. It has been the weekend of Pentecost. And in my view, it's one of the more obscure Christian holidays. It's all about the Holy Spirit talking to the apostles, I think. But nowadays it's more about Christians trying to talk to the Holy Spirit and getting no reply. (laughs) Uh, He's still trying though, Francis. And I didn't know this. Maybe Andras, you've heard of this. You've been around. Apparently there's a full-scale replica of the Lourdes Grotto in the Vatican Gardens. Did you know that? Yes, but I, I haven't seen it. Now, I don't think you have access to it. It's just for his, the Pope's private use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quite amazing. <laughs> totally crazy. It's known, of course, as the Grotta di Lourdes mm-hmm. in, in thought or something like that in Italian. And it was commissioned by Leo XIII, uh, completed in 1905. Mm-hmm. And I can just see this Pope Leo visiting Lourdes in France, the real thing, where they, of course, produced the special holy Lourdes water and things like that, and saying to himself, wow, I want myself one of those, so I think I'll buy one. <laughs> craziness. Anyway, there it is in the Vatican Gardens and in what uh, Francis probably sees as a total normal thing to do. He called 130 of his best pals and they all went into this fake grotto uh, in his backyard last Saturday and uh, they asked the Holy Spirit to please stop the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Of course, Francis has asked for this before and it doesn't seem to be helping Since he started to talk to God about this, hundreds of thousands of people have died and there's no sign of it stopping anytime soon. But he still thinks that 130 old men in fancy dresses, mumbling magic spells in a fake cave will make this whole thing go away. (laughs) I don't think so. To me, it almost seems like there's nobody listening. (laughs) 
I'm pretty sure that it only has something to do with uh, the the decoder going sideways. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Poor internet it's, or something. I don't the know. Internet what. connection. The communication is only one way at this point. That's clear. Yeah. Oh Lord, we're losing connection. Lord, <laughs> Lord, please. <laughs> Worst Zoom call ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And humanity has seen a couple of really bad Zoom calls in the last <laughs> couple of months. So, so it's it's uh, quite a thing. Well. Yeah, he's he's a pope. He has to act weird. <laughs> yeah. He's been a very, very bad pope. <laughs> bad boy, bad boy. Well, uh. yeah, when we're considering um how to evaluate the the office itself and um the job as a pope, I think compared to some of his predecessors, he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah. The problem is that the office itself is obsolete. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a poor excuse, actually, I think, you know? Yeah, 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 it is. All right, moving on to uh, talking about what's new in the COVID-19 pandemic situation. Yeah, I I think it's safe to say that uh, by now, um, the lockdown fatigue has really kicked in, in basically every corner of the world, right? People are doubting that the COVID-19 pandemic is even a serious threat. And uh, that's only because they have not seen the catastrophe that uh, had been predicted actually happen. Uh, Partly because of that, conspiracy theories are spreading like wildfire, with uh, some countries showing very serious symptoms of that. A recent representative survey in Germany, commissioned by the magazine program ZAP of the broadcaster Norddeutsche Rundfunk, they found that 20% of Germans think that, and I quote, politicians and the media deliberately exaggerate and the dangers of COVID-19 in order to deceive the public, end quote. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's 20% of Germans. So that was a representative survey. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't sound concerning enough, some online surveys came out with similar or worse results. Now, the ZAP report also says that uh, they found a correlation between perceiving social media platforms as a source of credible information and the prevalence of conspiracy theories. And the GVOP compiled a few other pieces of research about that, and it altogether, they draw a very disheartening picture of the situation, actually. I will, of course, uh, share the link on the show notes. Going hand-in-hand with the conspiracy theories... The anti-vaccination sentiment is gaining more and more ground, whilst healthcare professionals and international health experts fear a second wave is imminent. So we have to try and get well prepared. But that is no easy task. We've already seen the economical devastation the lockdown situation has caused, and obviously people start to doubt if it's really a good idea to make so much people suffer financially because of an elevated risk of getting infected. And make no mistake, rebouncing the economies of our countries will not be happening overnight. With the exception of a couple of countries that really didn't really ruin their economies. And I don't, I don't even know what the situation is currently with regards to the, uh, the economy in Sweden. But uh, everyone says that uh, it's probably not as bad as many as most of the other countries. I don't, I'm not so sure about that. We've been hit pretty hard anyway, you know, yeah, despite yeah, yeah, no lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is why I did, I did that. Yeah. 
So most of us will definitely suffer. Some more, the lucky ones, probably a little less. Thankfully, the, the World Health Organization enjoys the trust of most European leaders, and uh, they are proposing a complex approach going forward. And we will need that approach, as it seems like we have a difficult situation to deal with. If and when the second wave hits, it might even be a mutated version of the virus by then. Hmm. If it's uh, late autumn, it could even coincide with uh, the seasonal flu epidemic mm. uh, on on the Northern Hemisphere, resulting in even more death than we've seen occurring up until now. Mm. But since an intermittent lockdown doesn't seem like a, vi- a viable option for, for the reasons uh, mentioned before, and no matter what people say, we won't reach the level of herd immunity anytime soon, at least not without serious casualties along the process, the only real solution would be a widely available vaccine combined with monitoring and testing. But there are further issues with all of those. One is people's concerns over their privacy, which is a fear not completely unsubstantiated, mm-hmm. actually. But we somehow need to know who's affected and who's clear in order to respond locally instead of implementing countrywide lockdowns again and ruining everything mm-hmm. that we have built in the last couple of decades. A recent study used location data gathered by Google in several countries across Europe to find out where did people adhere to the rules the most. Now, it's very important data and the conclusions can help us determine the best course of action going forward. But that is still something that scares the shit out of people, Mm. even if the data collected was was all anonymized. Because we just don't trust that, Mm. that they really anonymize that kind of data. We don't really trust these tech giants, and it might be the smart thing to do overall. However, we still have to make way to gathering some relevant data if we want to make the right choices. And another one of those issues I talked about is the obvious advance of the anti-vaccination movement. Lots of people seem to be quite suspicious when it comes to a prospective COVID-19 vaccine, giving mostly the hastiness of the vaccine development as the reason for that. On the one hand, that is a valid point. On the other hand, it might be causing a lot of trouble in the long run, because usually vaccines are developed over a long period of time, giving the researchers ample opportunities to test both its safety and efficacy. Now, with all the rush, some people simply can't imagine that researchers can assess those qualities properly uh, prior to marketing the product. So there's fear that it might not be safe to take. For that reason, I really hope and I really, really emphasize that, that whatever ends up hitting the market as a product, mind you, there might be several different products, will be safe and effective, because otherwise it could ruin the reputation of the concept of vaccination as a whole. Mm. And we don't want that. Mm. You know you know what the estimated R value, you know, the, the basic rep- reproductive rate is for like uh, measles? It's like 12 or something. Yes, it's yeah. between 12 and 18. Yeah. It's ridiculously high. Terrible. Imagine that yeah. without yeah. a vaccine. Yeah, well, in some countries uh, we've seen that. Yes, exactly. Like in Ukraine. And, and the reason why it didn't really spread exponentially was because part of the society was vaccinated. So even though we didn't see a herd immunity occurring, some people were still not affected. And the seasonal flu has has the R number between 1 and 12, and for COVID-19 it's somewhere between 2 and 6. The bottom line is, all that combined with our modern way of living and globalization, without wide-scale vaccination, 
we're all pretty much fucked yeah. uh, with, with, with all of those. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one question. If and when a COVID-19 vaccine is available, will you take it? Sure. Yelena? Yeah. Yeah? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of people don't. No, no. Well, well, there's also a lot of people who think that um, yeah. measles parties are a great idea. Yeah. But it, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one thing that I think is a little bit hopeful there. And I don't think we need to vaccinate the whole population because the the vaccination rate to to obtain herd immunity is probably somewhere around 60 70 percent you don't have to go to the 95 percent you have to do with measles for instance so maybe maybe it's okay for few people to opt out and there will always be people who are advised not to take vaccines yeah. for uh medical reasons for medical reasons yeah, yeah so medical exemptions will always happen and will all be always be there but this is why uh, it becomes even more important for all the rest of us to to vaccinate and the other thing is uh it's quite a practical side of things that uh, for a while it won't will not be available for everyone yeah so that's right. I think the most vulnerable will have to be vaccinated first. But if it's not made compulsory, they will have to go along with the, the plans. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I certainly, there are many people who won't take it, but I certainly will, as as well as a flu shot before the next season kicks in. Yeah, absolutely. The more people do that, the safer we all are. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are certain factors that don't really point towards a global trust in those vaccine developments. I already mentioned the rush but the Russians... <laughs> okay, sorry, that was bad. The Russians seem to be another factor. They are now among the worst hit countries, currently ranking third globally, and they are working on as many as 50 different vaccine projects, according to Reuters. And just the other day, they announced the first trials to start within two weeks, mm. having already recruited 330 volunteers. Well... I can't help but wonder whether those were really volunteers, but uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> and just imagine Russia coming out first with the vaccine. In our current global political environment, how much trust do you think we can expect to see towards that vaccine? And imagine how many Americans would uh, take take a Russian vaccine or just uh, <laughs> talking about lots of Europeans. I'm not sure about that. And I don't think we should risk people not taking uh, the vaccine because because of that so i'm a little bit worried but um, i'm eager to find out uh how other countries deal with the situation yeah you wouldn't take hydroxychloroquine would you against uh, covid19 if you no, had definitely not no I, good yeah, good good i know better yeah no because in france where it all that all started the hydroxychloroquine uh, circus uh, it has now been banned because it turned out not to be effective and, of course, it's uh, dangerous as well. Yeah. There, this was after a new study uh, that was published in The Lancet showing that it was quite harmful. And after that, the WHO announced that they would stop it being part of global trials. And now the public health agency in France has advised against it and the national medicines regulator suspended the use of it in clinical trials. And so we've said all along that this was very, very uh, shaky. Uh, and it's easy to say now that uh, we're gloating in the fact that, you know, we told you so it didn't work, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. that's, not the, that's not the case. I would be very happy to see it work. Uh, I would love for there to be a treatment. 
but I'm mad uh, at everyone who who has spread uh, misinformation about it. In the beginning, uh, after the news about the, the first trial, it, it was sensible to look into it because it looked sort of promising. Uh, it could have worked, but uh, presenting it to the public as it was done uh, before there was any properly replication of the of the preliminary findings uh, that was very very irresponsible so i'm saying that even if it had turned out to work it was wrong to promote it at that point because there was no way of knowing it Uh, it doesn't matter if you later find out that yes you were right because it would just have been a lucky guess at that point and you shouldn't bypass the scientific method like that it's uh, reckless and dangerous and of course, we have people don't give up though. This uh, uh, French doctor Didier Raoul, he who promoted it first, he has still not given up. He still claims that it's working and that the WHO is wrong and that health organizations are wrong and and uh, the Lancet is wrong. And you know, so, sometimes people don't know when to quit. Yeah, that's right. All right, good news. The news segment, we managed to separate them from the COVID-19 issues. So one of the signs that there is something happening in the background other than COVID-19 is that our news segment is full of things unrelated. Uh And the first such item unrelated to COVID-19 relates to something called lightning process. Mm-hmm. So is that when a bolt of lightning just hits the ground? It or- strikes yeah. you, yeah. And then you get treated for also, it, it apparently it cures you from cancer. <laughs> but but seriously, it's, uh, it's yet another unproven technique uh, that was developed by somebody called Phil Parker and uh, based on some of the ideas from osteopathy, mm-hmm. uh, life coaching, and neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah, so you take old bullshit and you put it together and create new bullshit. Yes. <laughs> Quite a soup of things. Oh, the su- super bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Now then, of course, it doesn't help at all that it's been endorsed by celebrities. You know, as soon as I see this sentence, I'm like, mm. <laughs> you should always take it with a grain of salt. Um, celebrities mentioned were Martine McCutcheon and Esther Rantis. Ranson. I don't know any of those, so they're not really big enough for me. <laughs> but apparently Esther credits this uh, lightning process for her daughter's recovery from ME. Okay. In any case, uh, Phil Parker apparently claims that this treatment teaches people, I quote now from the article written by our friend Edzard Ernst, to use their brain to stimulate health-promoting neural pathways. So one of the young patients described it as follows, quote, where you get, uh, whenever you get negative thought, emotional symptom, you are supposed to turn on one side and with your arm movements in a kind of a stop motion, just stay stop firmly. And that is supposed to cut off the adrenaline response, end quote. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, it, it's because the patient didn't do it right. It's kind of wonderful that you mentioned that, Pontus, because this is exactly the path that this treatment takes and people who who propagate this treatment. They say if it works, it's because of lightning process treatment. If it doesn't work, well, the patient didn't try hard enough or whatever the reason might be. Mm -hmm. Bad feng shui in the room. (laughs) 
So well, this treatment is uh, well structured. It's got it's a three day treatment. So you first you go on a course and you learn about the treatment itself and various techniques, and then you apply it. And then in three days time, presumably you're free to go and do it in your own life. Do you know how much the three day course costs? Yes, I do know how much the three day co- course costs, and I was going to mention ah, that okay, sorry. because it it's one of the things that people. Um, complain about the, the the price of this course and it's a uh, $1200 for 3 day course wow mm. i know not the most expensive but not the cheapest i, I can safely say it's not value for money yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. not so when uh when Edzard Ernst was writing this article on his blog uh he mentioned that he was able to find just one single trial for this treatment. However, the trial was flawed. Oh, surprise, surprise. It was designed as an A plus B versus B study. And he claims that this particular type of study almost always generates positive outcome. So the A in that was the uh, lightning nonsense um, yeah mm. process yeah and um it's not very informative i mean they they can make it be whatever the results uh, interpret results what however they'd like and that's exactly what happened of course anyways this is um an interesting i have never heard of lightning process so you know we're bringing it to your attention <laughs> Mm. Guys, one more for our collection of bullshit treatments. Great. And um, <laughs> yeah, eliminating negative thinking and all that type of crap. But yeah, it doesn't work. I don't know if I mentioned that. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> all right. To keep talking about unproven techniques and products that are not of good value for money, our listeners might recall that last week I briefly mentioned a product called 5G BioShield USB Key. And it is marketed in, in London, in the UK. And I even called for people testing it. Mm. Well, I'm pretty sure it was completely independently of that, that Pen Test Partners, a British cybersecurity expert group, did exactly that. Uh, they ordered three of these devices uh, that, mind you, are marketed as, and I quote, quantum holographic catalyzer technology uh end quote built in for protection against 5g radiation and uh we even mentioned that very star trekky sounding thing we, we couldn't make heads or tails of anyhow these guys tested it as a usb stick first uh, finding out that there was a 25 page pdf file containing marketing material from the website on the the, the, the usb key and it was a one 28 megabyte usb key can you is... even buy those yes that's that's that's, that's, that's the thing <laughs> it's certainly hard to come by these days <laughs> that's 15 year old technology yeah but even if you can buy them you can get them for about five pounds yeah and uh on the outside it looks like a regular cheap usb key most probably made by uh shenzhen tushi technology corporation ltd in china Upon dismantling the device, though, they found zero evidence of anything extraordinary about it. But with a nice sceptical touch to their conclusion, they say that they didn't find any sign or evidence that the device is capable of doing what it claims to do. And since an approximately £5 worth of product is being marketed at more than £300... They close with the following, and I quote, We do not believe this product should be promoted by publicly funded bodies until a full, 
independent, peer-reviewed scientific study has been undertaken on its effectiveness. We think trading standards bodies should investigate this product. Now, the best thing about this is that the London Trading Standards Office has since started investigating it, working with the City of London's police's action fraud squad. And uh, BBC reports says they are now seeking a court order to take down the website. Now, this is what I call effective action. But as the proverbial rubber duck, I'm sure they will resurface as long as they are allowed to run their business. So taking down the website will not solve the problem in the long run. So people in the UK, please keep an eye out for them if you can. And... uh, pointed out to everyone that this is just a bunch of bullshit. Very expensive at that as Mm. well. (laughs) It is. Jelena, do you know that there are things that doctors don't tell you? They won't tell you about this 5G nonsense. They won't tell you that Wi-Fi is hurting <laughs> you. And it won't. they won't t- tell you that vaccines are really dangerous. Bastards. They won't tell you about the big pharma conspiracies that are out to get you, making drugs designed to keep you sick instead of curing you. Doctors will not tell you that because it's nonsense. Uh, <laughs> to hear those fairy tales, you have to go to the magazine, formerly known as what doctors don't tell you and now lately rebranded as the get well magazine and perhaps soon you will not hear such things from this source either i've heard about this magazine what doctors don't tell you before it's being sold in the us australia and in the uk but i'm happy to say that i've never seen a copy here in sweden regardless it has been produced and sold by a lynn mctaggart since 2012 And as you can guess from the title, she's not a doctor. (laughs) Apparently, it all started in the 90s, where she had a personal experience that somehow convinced her that she had cured herself from some sort of illness. And she decided she knew more about medicine than doctors do. So she wrote a book back then called What Doctors Don't Tell You. And she started a newsletter and other various internet things. And it became a printed magazine in 2012. And of course, it's been criticized a lot over the years. And in December, uh, they ran a story about how to, quote unquote, reverse autism through craniosacral therapy and chelation therapy. (laughs) And it seems finally that that was uh, the final straw. And in April in Australia, the major retailers Coles and Woolworths decided not to carry the magazine anymore. And now we learn from our friends in the Good Thinking Society that this magazine will be withdrawn from all retailers in the UK too by the end of June and it will be available only as a subscription. And I hope they don't have a lot of subscribers. Well, of course, people are free to subscribe to whatever bullshit they want to, but at least it won't be promoted in the stores anymore. And good riddance. Yeah, in a way, it's a bit more scary that way, though, because then it becomes more of an underground movement kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, we we cannot do anything about that. No. At least it won't be visible on the shelves. Which is no, it loses a lot of its thing. credibility, of course, if, yes, it, if you can't right. see it in the stores. Yeah, that's right. All right, but in the background, there are certain uh, phenomena that we are all very familiar with. As skeptics, we come across the phenomenon usually referred to as confirmation bias. It is a clear driving force in the extreme polarization of opposing views, and 
it is something we tend to be quick in spotting in other people's behavior and reasoning. But of course, we must not forget that we are not immune to it either. Hmm. The deeper we understand it, hopefully the more successful we can become at avoiding it. One thing that, that seems to be very clear is how selectively accepting parts of a story brings about the illusion of knowledge that in turn builds our confidence. Hmm. And one could argue that as we grow more confident as a result of our confirmation bias, we might dig ourselves deeper and deeper into it, resulting in a further boost in our confidence, effectively becoming a vicious circle. Mm. And it looks like researchers at University College London managed to test that with very convincing results. Their paper was published in Nature on the 26th of May, and in their introduction they point out climate change and vaccination as good examples of opposing views uh, being prone to confirmation bias. They wanted to test the whole concept in a real life, uh, more of an abstract situation where uh, the process of leaning towards one side is less ideology driven and thus more entrenched in our way of thinking than a completely neutral kind of perception. So basically, they wanted to rule out motivated reasoning and go down to the basic level of confirmation bias, how it emerges. The method was both brilliant and simple at the same time. It's brilliantly simple <laughs> a low-level perceptual decision-making process if you like is what they managed to map and uh, and examine in a bit more detail they worked with 28 participants and they were shown little dots that appeared on the screen the subjects were looking at the dots then move to one direction Another one appears and goes one way or the other too. Uh, a portion of them moved to one direction, a small portion to the other, and there was some randomness involved as well. Then they had to determine what direction the majority of the dots went. So they moved one direction, the other direction, the other, and you try to assess what the majority of the dots are doing. Also indicating uh, their level of confidence in their answer. So they had to give a level of confidence as well on a one to five scale. Reruns occurred with the same net directions at different ones, etc. many times over. So they, they had to uh, do it a lot of times. Some 128 runs were, were done for everyone uh, on, the, on the first round. But the second confirmation run of uh, this one round happened with more obvious visibility of the, the overall direction. Then they were allowed to change their minds about their previous answer. So are you sure about your previous answer based on what you experienced here? And uh, if they felt like it, they could revisit the situation and revise their, their previous answer due to the more clear indications that it had been wrong, probably. Uh, now, whether someone revised the original answer depending on their own perceived confidence in their choice. Uh, to, the higher the confidence, the less likely to revise a wrong initial answer. And I think this is a brilliant way of testing confirmation bias. These are the basic elements of con confirmation bias. So if you're very confident that you gave the right answer at the beginning and the, on the second round with the same result, it should be the same result, and you know that, you're much clearly leaning towards a different direction, you will say that your original answer was good. But if you, you're not that confident in your, your original answer, then you're much more likely to revise your, uh, your original answer and say that, you know what, I might have been wrong. 
at first. But now I'm clear because it's more obvious that this, these dots are moving in one direction. But the next part is uh, even more brilliant. That they managed to combine all this behavioral modeling with neural observations as well. They demonstrated that the central parietal area of the brain, which is active when processing information, in this case were not active when the subjects having high confidence in their initial answer were shown to have been wrong. So it looks like there is at least some evidence that the information demonstrating that the initial answer was wrong doesn't even register in that part of the brain if the subject believes otherwise. So confirmation bias, it appears, is that deeply wired into our brains. And no wonder it takes so much effort to overcome it. Mm. But we have to keep trying. Mm. I think this is a brilliant piece of research. And I just love the whole thing. <laughs> um, so um, I have all, another unrelated to COVID news mm -hmm. item, Good. which is super exciting. <laughs> uh, well, actually, the, uh, the news item itself is it, not necessarily bad, but it's just weird. Again, this one comes from Ezard Ernst as well. He's been super productive and busy. <laughs> and this article talks about our friends, Austria Skeptic Group, GVUP, which we mention a lot on the show as well, because they do a lot of good uh, skeptic content. Mm -hmm. So these guys um, have a annual prize called Golden Board in Front of the Head Award, just like other skeptical groups across Europe. Um, and they give it out to normally those organizations and people who promote misinformation and alternative treatments, unproven alternative treatments. And in the past, uh, this um, award was frequently given to representatives of Austria's homeopathy community, unsurprisingly. Uh, but this time around, uh, the, the, there is a magazine called Similar. It's about homeopathy, for homeopaths and about homeopaths. And what they did, I think they got rather upset that they have been um, singled out by Givupe and given the prize for this golden board in front of the head of award. And so what they decided to do is to set up their own prize and give it to give you a pair, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> turn table, so to speak, <laughs> and nice. bestow the 2019 award for pseudoscience to give you a pair. Well, let's look at why they did this. So apparently they said there were a few claims they made about give you a pair and the reasons why they given the prize. So I'm going to quote some of that uh, from this article. Quote number one, give you a pair is trying to agitate against complementary medicine and homeopathy without disclosing the true motives and donors. <laughs> so that's line number one. The, the usual, the usual bullcrap about how we all sponsored by Big Pharma. Uh, I, I mean, oh, yes. wish we were sponsored by someone. The money. I yeah. know, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. like the, one of the, one of the comments below the article was exactly that, you know, somebody from Gibbe answered, of course we are. <laughs> Claim number two, I quote, under the guise of science and purported scientific truth, these all-knowing activists, many of whom are without any medical qualifications, deliberately misrepresent scientific studies that support the efficacy of homeopathy beyond placebo, end quote. That's not just Gibbe who, who proven time and time again that homeopathy doesn't work beyond placebo, but of course, that doesn't mean anything to these guys. Yeah, well, let's just say it's an international conspiracy against them. Yeah, must be. Must yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. just German. Another another lie that they're basing this award on is, um, quote, financial aggressive lobbying and media work to discredit proven methods of complementary medicine, end quote. 
again, despite the fact that there are hundreds of studies to, to say exactly opposite. And the last one they've proclaimed was uh, that the, uh, quote, position complementary medicine is an esoteric frivolous corner to curtail plurality and freedom of choice in healthcare and to hinder progress towards inclusive medicine, end quote. Well, of course, that's a f- everybody's favorite soapbox about um, freedom of choice, freedom of whatever, yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, if people want to choose homeopathy, I'm not going to stop them. Knock yourself out. No, but if people are going to try to sell it to someone and convince them that it works, then we're protesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Then we yeah. Then we certainly are. They didn't against. actually talk about the hey. progress of stopping the progress. Tell me how much progress homeopathy has done in the last 200 years. <laughs> I know, I know. Hilarious. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. But um, so w- what was uh, kind of ironic is that um, the guys from Giveope obviously found out about this prize, not because they were contacted, but because they saw some sort of links or somebody uh, brought their attention. Anyway, they got in touch with uh, with the magazine, <laughs> uh, with Similar magazine, and they were like, Ahaya, where's our... Where's our prize? Where's the ceremony at? <laughs> and they were saying to them, well, there's no ceremony, but here is a, a very poorly made email with a word document attached with your with your nomination. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and, they, uh, and they've also um, provided... It, it is really poor. Like, we'll link it in the description, but the Give Poor guys provided a screenshot on the Twitter account, and it's just, um, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Where's our actual prize? Well, sorry, it's a homeopathic know, right? prize. It's it's diluted. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing in it, yeah. no. Yeah, really. So, just okay. pathetic attempt in my mind. Pathetic attempt. But it, it probably made them feel good about themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's water of the Givu piss back. I'm they managed sure. to let the steam off. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and also provide um, some humor materi- material for skeptical societies. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well yeah. done. Win win. Yeah. <laughs> well, and thanks um, to Ed for the other catch. I think we've, uh, we are on this episode, we're pretty much living on his work. <laughs> Welcome to the ESP at the Derns <laughs> Actually, podcast. I can say I haven't read his blog this week, so I'm not on that. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You're not. Uh, oh, by the way, last week, a uh, very important uh, piece of work uh, uh, right into my hands, mm-hmm. and that is Edzard Ernst's latest book. Oh. Don't believe what you think. Arguments for and against scam, which is so-called alternative medicine. And I still haven't got around to actually reading the book because i'm rather busy but i can't wait to jump right at it anyhow there is another article that um Ernst writes about and uh, i think with vaccine hesitancy being among the issues even the world health organization categorizes as one of the top 10 understanding the underlying motivations and reasons is is really key especially if you want to do something about it. So this article that Edzardern talks about on his blog tries to assess if there is a causal relationship between vaccine hesitancy and the use of complementary and alternative medicine. It was a group of Spanish researchers who conducted this piece of research by asking a representative, at least they they call it a representative sample, of 5,175 Spanish residents about their attitudes to vaccination and the use of CAM, or SCAM, as Ernst calls it. 
then they asked them about their level of trust in three branches of alternative medicine, namely acupuncture, reiki, and homeopathy, as well as two regular interventions used by conventional medicine, chemotherapy and antidepressants. And they found that while trust in CAM was a relatively weak predictor of vaccine hesitancy, their distrust in conventional medicine was strongly associated uh -huh. with it. And they draw the conclusion that people in the right position should consider all that. Yeah. But there are a few problems with this research, some of which Edzard Ernst points out. First of all, why these three CAM interventions? Why not any of the 200 million others that are available? Why, why only homeopathy, Reiki and acupuncture? And why chemotherapy and antidepressants on the other side? Chemotherapy is probably the most feared medical intervention available, uh, surrounded by all sorts of misinformation as well. So would that be sufficient to indicate someone's overall trust level in conventional medicine? Mm. Well, I really doubt it. Mm. When I dug up the, the full article, it turned out to be a big, fat nothingness, the whole piece of research. You know, when you write an article, a thesis or anything, you cite the works of others. Sometimes you see a citation after every sentence in a paper. It shows that you've done your homework and it makes your claims easy to reference and evaluate. Uh, occasionally you can say something like it's well established that mm -hmm. this or that, but it should really be something that is beyond doubt if you, if you do that, like the laws of physics or something. <laughs> Even mm. a Wikipedia article has to be written along those principles. So if you make a claim, then back it up with a, a source. This little paper, however, starts with a bold claim. And I quote, it is well established that people who use complementary and alternative medicine are, on the whole, more vaccine hesitant, end quote. You would look for the reference, but it's not there. Mm, they just assume that's the yes. thing. Mm. In fact, when you start digging on the interwebs, uh, you find papers with results across the spectrum. So it's not very well established. There is a suspicion that might be the case, but I wouldn't call it well established. Mm. But they did. Mm. But it sounds better. <laughs> yeah, but that's a bold claim, especially if you start your paper with that. So I'm not saying they're wrong, but I definitely wouldn't make such a bold claim in an article in Social Science and Medicine. As for the representativeness of the sample of participants, I also have my doubts. Then, the personal interviews are something that would come out of an elementary school level reporter make-believe contest. Mm -hmm. So like basics, very basic questions with vague, meaningless uh, content about whether they have ever used CAM. If they thought it could prevent disease in general, like what the fuck? You have to be more specific if you want to find out something about it. How do you rate the benefit and risks of vaccinations? That was another question. And then the researchers used all that to do their elementary school statistical magic and come up with the conclusion I mentioned earlier. I don't know if this piece of research can be used for anything, but one thing is for sure, it doesn't bring us closer to the answering the original question whether preference towards CAM leads to a more vaccine-hesitant attitude. That's an important question that needs to be seriously studied. So, I wouldn't say they're really wrong, but not really right either. <laughs> Anyhow, this was our last news item, and I'm very eager to find out who's been really wrong lately. 
So I'm afraid we'll have to go back to COVID-19 for a bit before we end this show um, uh, when we talk about someone who's been really wrong. And uh, there is a report. This is the background. There's a report from the north of Italy that SARS-CoV-2, the virus, that they are now sampling is less potent and less aggressive than that what they found two months ago. Huh. Uh, and that sounds like interesting news, something to look into. It sounds very strange to me, but uh, I mean, why would a virus evolve over time to be less effective? But still, I mean, we need to know everything we can about this virus, so we should look into it. Uh, what we don't need to do uh, or to have is high-ranking doctors to go on national television and make comments that totally confuses people and send mixed messages to the public. Uh, in short, what we don't need is Dr. Alberto Sangrillo. Alberto Sangrillo is a renowned intensive care physician from Milan, working as director for Terapia Intensiva del San Raffaele di Milano. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> uh, or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't want to imply that he speaks like uh, Mario in in the <laughs> games, but still, in my head, he does. Uh, he went on uh, national TV. Uh, in Italy last Saturday, and he claimed that the virus no longer exists. Mm. What is it? Just what is he on about? I, I have no idea what he meant, and neither does the Ministry of Health in Italy, who whose advi advisory council has gone out and criticized Sangrillo for this statement very much. And I've actually tried to make sense of what he meant when he said that, but he was criticized after the TV. Uh, episode and he doubled down after this criticism but it's just getting confusing the first statement that he made on tv was quote clinically the new coronavirus no longer exists end quote when he was later confronted with what he really meant he said quote we heard epidemiologists fear a new wave at the end of may beginning of june and who knows how many intensive care places to fill in reality, the virus, from a clinical point of view, no longer exists, end quote. And then he said later, quote, The virus still lives among us, like dozens of other viruses, but what we see is what I've said. It is appropriate to temporarily continue to observe prudential rules, but Italians have the right to know the current clinical evidence of the virus, end quote. Do you know or understand anything from all of that i'm very confused still other than it's being bullshit i don't know but but it's even contradictory he says the virus still lives among us but then he says from a clinical point of view it no longer exists it doesn't it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense so uh, maybe he's trying to make a fine point about the definition of clinical point of view thing but that's not what people are hearing people are hearing that he's saying that the virus no longer exists yeah. And um, you shouldn't try to make such technical distinctions in public, uh, and especially not that poorly, because, uh, as I said, people will totally misunderstand it. And, and, and also, when other experts correct your statement, you shouldn't go out and, and, and just, well, continue this bullshit. So anyway, it's very annoying. <laughs> this is what a representative of the Senior Advisory Board of the Ministry of Health in Italy had to say, uh, quote, 
I can only express great surprise and absolute bewilderment for the statements made by Professor Sangrelo, with phrases such as, the virus no longer exists clinically. Just look at the number of new cases of SARS-CoV-2 positivity that are confirmed every day to demonstrate the persistent circulation of the new coronavirus in Italy. End quote. So, the virus is still there. And <laughs> um, uh, as a late addition... Just a few hours ago, I heard that uh, the WHO as well uh, has uh, gone out and, and commented on this. There's a director, Michael Ryan, uh, who held a virtual press briefing, completely denying that there's any substance to what this Sangrillo has been saying. Yeah. So, long story short, for spreading contradictory and very confusing statements on the public uh, television... Dr. Alberto Sangrillo, director of the Terapia Intensiva del San Raffaele in Milan, uh, uh, in Milano, uh, gets today's prize for being really wrong. Mm. Yeah, the only thing that's impressive is the name of that director, <laughs> whatever he's director. Yeah, but the thing is, he, he actually is the director there and he has a good reputation, or at least he had until before... Saturday. So it's yeah, but this strange. is how it works. If you make a comment and you make an idiot out of yourself, usually the way that people go down that they dig in your yeah. he their heels, and uh, instead of announcing that, yeah, I, you know what, I don't know what got into me. I just said something that wasn't right. So sorry about that. I correct my mistake. Very rarely do we hear such statements. Yes. Yeah. And th unless you Trump, then it doesn't matter what you do. Your reputation doesn't suffer. Yeah. 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 Who cares about reputation anyway? Mm. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that concludes our show, uh, which means that before we leave, uh, I will need a quote from you, Yelena. I have a quote from Bertrand Arthur William Russell. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a British polymath, philosopher, logician, mathematician, historian, writer, social critic, political activist. Oh, I'm just tired reading all these titles. <laughs> oh, and Nobel laureate. Sheesh. And he was a fucking smart guy. I feel so bad about myself. <laughs> like, I, ca I can't get my shit together often. Well, anyway, so he said very, very clever thing, of course, <laughs> as you would expect. If a man is offered a fact which goes against his instincts, he will scrutinize it closely. And unless the evidence is overwhelming, he will refuse to believe it. If, on the other hand, he is offered something which affords a reason for acting in accordance with his instincts, he will accept it even on the slenderest evidence. The origin of myths is explained in this way. Mm. Wow. Which, of course, we know a lot about that, don't we? And it has a lot to do with the confirmation bias that we talked about. Phenomenon. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. He was Here we go. really smart, that guy. Uh, thank you very much, Yelena. Thank you. And indeed, thanks to both of you for joining me today. Okay. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, keep doing it. Yes, I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Paka paka. Hey, do. We start. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu.
We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe As per usual, none of my windows are open for some reason. Someone's very prepared. Well, you know what? I've got your news that you gave me open and prepared, but not my freaking segment. You know, you can have more than one window open at the same time. (laughs) You're so clever, Pontus. (laughs) What? (laughs) You look like a hamster when you do that. (laughs) You look like a monkey and you smell like one too. <laughs> no, it's actually part of the happy birthday song. Ah, uh-huh. is that? Is it? Yeah, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. You look like a monkey and smell like one too. <laughs> okay, I've been singing it wrong all of my life. So have I. Okay, you see now. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. Where Carry would on. we be? Okay, I was really wrong. Okay. <laughs> nice. I love that. Okay, then moving on to the question. Okay. He was British polygamist. I mean, polymath. Polygamist? No, polymath. <laughs> polymath? Jesus. I don't think he was polygamist. <laughs> uh, philosopher? Oi, oi, oi. We don't know. So say it again, please. Bertrand Russell, famous polygamist. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, that is a claim that we have no source to back. 